I'm Jay Pitts, a real estate broker, agent, leader, and investor. For the last decade, I've navigated the craziest of real estate markets this country has ever seen, selling over 2,000 homes, moving in and out of markets, always ahead of the curve. And now I'm bringing that perspective to you. This is your resource, and Real Talk About Real Estate starts right now. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Resource. This is Real Talk About Real Estate. I'm Gabe Pruitt. I'm Jay Pitts. And this week, we are going to talk about real estate investing. Kind of do. We talked about this before when we were planning planning this week's episode. We talked about doing a real estate investing one hundred and one, but I think I think we're going to graduate to real estate investing two hundred and one. I think after talking about it a little bit, some people are going to be listening to this that are already familiar with you know what is property management, what is flipping, and sure. and stuff like that. And so we don't want to hit the basics again for for everybody that knows that sort of thing, but instead kind of go more in depth about what you need to know if you're planning to take this to the next level. Does that make sense? No, absolutely, Gabe. I, I think I think you're spot on there, man. I think 201 uh, kind of indicates that there's an appetite for yeah. real estate investing. And I think I think it's something that people are people are wanting to know about. You know, it's something we do and uh, excited to share. Awesome. All right. So Jay, since I've got you, I, I want to ask you from your place of experience. We talked about this last week, but you've got experience investing. You've got rental properties mm-hmm. that are in management. We, you know, we do property management here at the company level sure. and flip properties in the past and, and probably worked with 10 times as many investors Absolutely. as a broker and as an agent, a professional resource to them. So as someone with that kind of background, what are the key things you're looking for when you're looking for property to invest in? I'm looking for value. I'm looking for value because, you know, the adage is, is that you make your money in real estate investing Mm -hmm. when you buy, not when you sell. So, uh, in coaching agents and, and investor clients through the process, it's really, really important that that shift of thinking happens. You can't, you can't go into, you know, a piece of property that you're hoping to add value to and turn for a profit expecting to outsell the market. The market is the market. You know, I had a good conversation, interestingly enough, the other day with a, with an agent. We have a, have a transaction where I represent the seller and she represents the buyer. Okay. And, uh, the appraisal came in low, as is the case with a lot of realtors, you know, real estate professional sellers around the country. We're in a sharp inclining market in certain price points. So, an appraisal is a historical representation of, yeah. what, of what value is. But really all that means, Gabe, is that it's nothing more than one person's opinion at one point in time. So the agent couldn't process the fact that the house wasn't rubber stamped with what the appraiser said it was worth. It was it was actually worth what a buyer would give and a seller would accept. And then was this in like a part of the market that was up and coming, I guess? It or? is up and coming, and it was – it was sharply inclining. So, you know, m- m- my advice, as my would be my advice to real estate investors, uh, the beauty is beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Okay, the homeowner clearly felt it was worth what we we had contracted to sell it for at the time, and now 
they need to move forward because they're getting a deal. Exactly. Like my seller has to succumb to what the appraiser says, but what the appraiser says is not what true value is necessarily. It's the same thing for real estate investors. Okay. Spotting value where the market doesn't appreciate something. Same, same, same concept can be applied to the stock market. It can be applied to any investment. It can be applied to, you know, buying sample shampoo bottles at big lots and sell reselling them on eBay. Yeah. Like, I mean, spot a deal, add value. Okay. You make profit. Absolutely. So a lot of people are familiar with that approach. Clearly, you know, you see something that needs to have value added, whether, you know, you're planning to flip it and sell it or you're planning to rent it out. You know, a lot of people know how to spot that opportunity, but when there's good opportunities like that, and you know, this, especially in our market here in Louisville, those deals go quick because they're red hot and everybody knows where to find them. So absolutely. What can you do to maybe go a step farther than that? Go to the 201, like we talked about, but beyond just finding the, the house that's underpriced and there's a lot of room to make, to make money on it. What do you do to get past those? So you're not competing all the time. I mean, there's a lot of different lead sources. The, 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 the truth, Gabe, is that it's, it's sweat equity. We, we talked last week about check versus sweat equity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's check equity to be had in this situation too. You can buy leads. Um, I know investors that send out thousands of direct mail pieces. I want to buy your house direct mail. Oh, pieces. sure. You see signs like that everywhere. There's, there's billboards that's on bumper stickers. We buy ugly houses. We buy now. ugly houses. Okay. And that stuff actually works. There's people out there that, you know, there, there's realtors that run. I don't know if you're familiar with this. That I'll sell your house in 60 days or I'll buy it. I've seen campaigns. something like that. Yeah. I'm not going to get in the weeds on that, but that's nothing more than a lead gen opportunity for sellers, sometimes distressed sellers. Okay, that's that's nothing more than the I buy ugly houses. I mean, it's the same same concept. What what can you do? You can work at it, man. I mean, it's there's there's no free lunches out there. So you you work at it. You do what other people are not willing to do. Here's what you can do. What you can do as an investor that's not a trade professional, that's not in the industry, that's not quitting your day job. Um, you can hire a good resource. Okay, now. Educate yourself first. Right. Okay. And then find someone who does it. Most people don't want to work with an agent to buy investment property that is an investor because they're afraid they're going to have to compete with them for all the good deals. Well, the truth is, if you're not in the trade, you're not getting the best deals. <laughs> they don't get past me. No, they, yeah, they, it, they stop at the, at the industry level. Absolutely. The, the, when they hit my desk, the best get bought. Yeah. Okay. Um, I sell the rest. Um, so, so I can't buy everything. I don't have an endless supply of money. Sure. You know, I move as fast as my money allows me to move. So, um, you may catch me in bad timing, but I've got tons of clients that I've made. I've made hundreds of thousands of dollars for people. So you're Um, saying that people don't need to be worried that by working with a professional, they're directly competing with somebody. No. That person stands to make money too just by helping you. Don't don't hire an agent that doesn't know anything about investment property because they aren't investing. Yeah. I mean, that's like it's a complete fallacy. So can you be a good agent or not necessarily just an agent, but just a good advisor for real estate investors if you've never done it yourself? I find it hard to believe. Okay. I find it hard to believe. Look, anyone can spot a good deal on the lowest risk investment and you can trust them 
to provide you with those opportunities. Like, you know, but we were having a conversation off air before, you know, you nobody trusts an agent to sell them a 200 unit apartment complex that <laughs> doesn't know investing and doesn't have a track record. Exactly. Um, regardless of where you stand, Okay, where, where you start, where, where you are in the process, whether you own some, own a little, don't own any at all, or own hundreds, you can spot the genuine article. Okay, talk to a professional that knows what they're talking about. And I, so I'm an agent, right? And yeah. when I was real new in the business, some of the best opportunities for me were investors. And I remember coming to you saying, I don't know a thing about investing in real estate. How do I position myself as a reliable resource? And, you know, in that instance, I leaned a lot on your experience and experience of the team that we're on. But, you know, what what sets apart if you're an investor looking for an agent, how do you tell this person is the real deal? What kind of questions do you need to ask? Do they own any investment property? Well, so I would have answered that question. No. Well, that's okay. Then I listen to how you answer it. Because a lot I told you it was about sweat equity in a lot of cases. It's just hard work. Like. You don't have to be an, you know, an economist to to show me a decent opportunity, mm-hmm. right? If I see the value, I'm going to move, and that's how you build as an agent. That's how you build as a as a new investor. You 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 get one opportunity and you learn. Then you take a second opportunity and you move as fast as your money will allow you and your success will allow you. That's I mean. I, I don't mean to be so broad about it, Gabe, but, but it's true. It's, it's hard work. It's not sexy. You know, we talked a little bit about HGTV and my maligning for it last week. But, um, I will tell you a lot of people think it's sexy because of television shows to flip houses. You know why they show flips, flips and not rentals. It's easy to build drama in flips. That's good TV. It's not good real estate investing. Okay. Uh, we haven't really even gotten too much into the granular detail of flipping versus renting, but I tell you, in it has a, both have a place in every solid real estate investor's portfolio. Well, we're definitely going to talk about flipping versus renting after the break. But one more question before we we take a quick second: When you're someone that's a real estate investor, what are the things you need to do every day to make sure that you're not missing out on opportunities? You look for deals. Deal look hunting. for deals, deal hunt every single day. The first thing I do every single morning, and we laugh around the office because you get emails from me at 4.30 I'm about to say, what day does, What time does your morning start? Like 4 o'clock? Yeah, maybe? something like that, unfortunately. Uh, right now, that's it's for different reason. I've got a three-week-old. and Right. The feeding schedule is... Probably up earlier than four yeah, somewhere. Earlier, later, always. Um, no, the first thing I do is I I, I review the market for the the areas that I have defined for myself as potential opportunities for investment. The, the same holds true. The most, the most qualifying factors for investment property, like, like a residential, you know, owner occupied home sale, the most defining criteria or limiting criteria would be price and location. So I evaluate based on location and price point, I evaluate based on days on market. In a hot market, you find good deals where the market has passed. Right. Okay. You find good opportunities where, you know, um, folks that, you know, would have purchased to live in determined that the value wasn't there and it sat and sat and sat two, three, four times the average days per market. 
of normal sales. And then you find yourself with opportunities to leverage in negotiation. Well, we're going to talk more about leveraging and negotiation here in just a minute, but let's take a quick break. All right, we're back. And now I want to go into a little bit more detail. We kind of brushed the surface there before the break, but now let's dive in a little bit more for our folks that are listening that definitely want to start investing. Here's a key question that I get all the time from clients of mine. When is the right time to borrow money to invest in real estate? And when is the right time to pay cash? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, it's a loaded question. Yeah. So if you asked my father, who taught me about most of what I know in real estate, um, it is never a good time to borrow money. <laughs> and, and when when was this advice uh, proper? Oh, only like 30 years of my life. Okay. <laughs> no, no. Um, it's a great question. Look, if you're in acquisition mode, you borrow. Okay. Okay. Don't over leverage. And that's a subjective opinion. Okay. Over leverage, meaning don't borrow 95% of an investment. Let me, let me take a step back, Gabe. It's never the wrong time to buy a really good deal. Okay. I can see never. That. Okay. Use other people's money to buy a sure thing. Now we're talking to the investor who doesn't have cash on hand, but okay. wants to get started. Okay. That'd be, I know some folks like that, that, you know, they listen, they listen to the podcast, they watch the shows They're like, man, I want to do that. But do I have to save 20 grand first before I can get started? The answer is no. You want to know that I can give you a quick answer to that one. Hit me. Bring me a deal. You may not get all of the profit, but if you show me a sure thing, I'm going to buy it and I'm going to compensate you for it. And then you stack up cash until you can participate without a air quotes partner. And then you're learning how to spot deals too. You're exactly the, all the value in real estate investing is in deal spotting research, you know, development sales, like all, all that's where all the value is Gabe. Yeah. So very, very simple question. Very direct answer. Spot a deal and take it to someone who you can leverage. That's it. This is going to be, Folks, leverage is going to be a central theme in this podcast. Oh, sure. Okay. Whether it be leveraging money, leveraging technology, leveraging people, um, leverage helps you succeed in almost any business endeavor. Okay. In this case, the person finding the deal would be leveraging my ability to execute it, to profit something on their own. And then they save. And then they're more capable of executing the next the next opportunity. And if they build a track record with me, I might pay them more next time for bringing me a good opportunity and they can leverage again. And this isn't just you, right? I'm sure everyone Any, listening has someone in their market that absolutely. would love a deal hunter working for a them. A rich uncle <laughs> yeah, that doesn't want to do any of the work but wants a little bit of return. I mean, you could almost leverage those situations into a 50% partnership. You just need to find someone that likes making money. Exactly. Exactly. Smart, be smart. Smart people like making money. There you go. Okay. Smart people usually have a little bit too. So, okay. Um, I, I think, did I ask, answer your question? No, I think so. Yeah. But that makes me think of something else too. So okay. it sounds like it basically, if you want to start investing in real estate, there are ways to dive in. Absolutely. Why doesn't everybody invest in real estate then? Like you said, if you're looking for a sure thing, 
If there really are sure things out there and you don't have to have pockets full of cash to start, why is not everybody doing it? Are there some perceived barriers that stop people from getting started? I think the biggest barrier is pride. Explain. People don't want to ask for help. Okay. They don't want to admit that they don't know what they don't know. I mean, you. I have encountered countless numbers of educated, professional, smart people. Smart people with it with means that just don't want to approach or can't spot. They should be able to spot, but for whatever reason, can't spot a pro that they are comfortable approaching. There, there's too much pride there. I don't know. That, that That's, I think, the biggest barrier. Why doesn't everyone do it? Some people are just too busy, man. I mean, life is crazy. Oh, yeah. A lot of people. Uh, and it seems risky, too, though. I mean, like, if you ask me, someone that's a younger and I'd love to set it up. I mean, I could set up my retirement based on, you know, real estate investing, but it seems like a huge risk to dive in, you know, as far as how much you have to invest. I mean, what do you say to that? I think, I think financial literacy in this country is abysmal. Sure. Okay. So, you know, most people don't know what they don't know and they're going to wake up one day, not have a retirement. They're going to wake up one day and not have money for their kid's college they're going to have a catastrophic health issue that they can't pay for. And this is not a political podcast, so we're not going to get into healthcare. I promise. Sure. (laughs) But, but my, my point Gabe is, um, I've been raised, I talked about my father earlier and I joke, you know, tongue in cheek about it's never the right time to finance. Okay. A piece of real estate that that's not true. Okay. Okay. He financed a lot of real estate and he used the leverage of financial institutions effectively. Um, but I think, I think what he did was, is he instilled a healthy fear of risk while the simultaneously encouraging me to never work for anyone else, but myself. Okay. I've always been completely and utterly self-employed. Okay. I bought my wife's engagement ring with the profits from a flip house. (laughs) That's cool. Okay. I've never financed a car. That's huge. Okay. You know, I've, you know, contributed to a retirement account at an extremely young age, like to the point where I may not have to anymore. The point being, Gabe, um, I have a plan. The further point it sounds like you're making is these are not things that fell on you because of circumstances or because you are more equipped than someone else. It's just about making the right choices at the right time, knowing what to look for and being willing to make choices to do it on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. Slight edge decision-making destroys a lot of positive and productive in people's lives. Got it. Okay. Fear drives slight edge decision-making. Okay. If you have a plan and you work and execute the plan, it's rooted in numbers and facts and figures and not, not emotions. This is not Tony Robbins podcast, but (laughs) decisions made, Rooted in emotion are usually a problem. I, I'm not getting granular. I realize that, but um, I think you got to decide. You got to identify someone to help. Okay, and then you got to make tactical decisions. Speaking of tactical decisions, all all of this talk makes me want to jump in and go invest in something right now. You know, sounds like if you can dream it, you can do it. Not to get philosophical here, but yeah. so. 
No one's immune to making mistakes, though. And I've been around investors who I've heard stories of their first couple times out the gate making big mistakes that they wish they could take back. So as someone who's probably made a mistake or two, what would you say are the biggest things you wish someone would have told you right before you started investing? Things to avoid, I guess. Hmm. So I've, I've, uh, mistake. I realize that's subjective. I've, I've lost money on one house in my career. One investment. That's a pretty decent ratio though. One yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. One house. And it was only like 1500 bucks. Oh, um, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm not even going to go down the road on how that happened. Uh, I ended up essentially unwittingly committing to purchase a home that I didn't really want. And then I tried to climb my way out of that hole and it just didn't work. And ultimately I cut my loss at about 1500. Not bad though. Cause I've no. made, <laughs> I've, I've, I've done very, very well in real estate investing. Um, so w- what do I wish I knew? Um, I, I, I learned, I was told most of it, man, you make your money when you buy, not when you sell, don't over leverage, you know, those, those are the two biggest ones, you know, are there any myths out there like surrounding, I mean, without going into detail about like what people see on TV, but are there any myths about, you know, flipping or buying and renting out properties that absolutely need to be debunked for our listeners? I'll tell you this. There is no one surefire method for profiting. I'm going to go down the, the, the rental real estate path here for a second. There's no one surefire method. You would, some gurus would have you believe that you should, that, that real estate is neither an, that is, it's not an asset. It's a liability unless it yields positive cash flow. These are the investors that purely want you to treat your real estate investing like it's an earned income activity, like a job. Yeah. The truth is, is you get, you you don't pay earned taxes as earned income on rental properties. So there's like about a 15% bump on your net right up right from jump yeah because it's different it's it's taxed differently so it's not active income i believe in a blended method of appreciation based and revenue based real estate investing i believe in positive cash flow but i also believe in you know accumulation of wealth through a property price appreciation. Yeah. Does that make sense? Just natural market appreciation. I, I, I don't buy th- – th- there are methods to buy very cheap housing that will never increase in value that yields tons of positive cash flow. Um, I'm not really all about that. You know, all – absolutes. I try not to speak in absolutes. I like a mixture of increase in value versus – positive cash flow because I like my real estate to pay for itself. <laughs> yeah, I bet we all do. Yeah. You know, I, I interject some some actively earned income to the equation, right? You have to spend a little to make a spend little. Spend a little to make a little, right? That's 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 makes sense. But yeah, there, there's no absolutes, man. I will debunk the positive cash flow method only because I think it leads you down a path that makes you make bad financial decisions. Mm, that's good. Well, before we wrap up, I think we covered most of the bases we plan to, but kind of like we did last week, I want to hit you with a couple of things and just get your get your knee-jerk reaction. We called it quick hits last week, but it wasn't very quick. So we're going to try to make it as quick as possible this okay. time. Okay. I won't li- like I said, I won't limit you to one word, but I've only got a handful of them. I'll you. go quick. I'll go and quick. And they're investing related this time. So You know, Gabe, you've never known me to not you know, be a little bit verbose, right? Okay. 
You've always known me to be a little bit verbose. I'll just be honest. That's well, okay. Well, let's see what you can do. This will be I'll a good tr- challenge I'll, for you. I'll, I'll, I'll box myself in this time. Succinct as possible. You might have already answered this one, so this will be a fast one. Okay. Biggest investing mistake you've ever made. Tell me that a $1,500 house was not your biggest mistake ever. Um, No. I, I tell you, the biggest mistake I've, I've made – it's happened numerous times. Don't listen to your gut. I've given away more profits. I've not incurred losses because of these mistakes. I've given away lots of profit by not listening to my gut. And that could be, um, what was your gut telling you when you didn't listen? Well, I had a, I had a house one time that, um, it was in an area that was prone to flood, Mm, but, but it had never flood air quotes. I think air quotes is going to be a theme in this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Air quotes. It had never flooded according to the distressed seller that sold me the property. And I I owned the property during renovation. We had some torrential downpours. Of course. And so I demoed the whole house. The basement sat completely untouched because I'm just waiting for it to flood. Right. I'm just waiting for this basement to flood. You know, waterproofing is $7,500 expense, right? Not chump change. So I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. We had torrential downpours, three and four inch rains at one single time and never flooded. And I'm like, okay. So I finished it. Okay. It never flooded, but everybody thought it was going to flood. And my gut told me waterproof the damn thing. Yeah. Okay. Before you finish the basement, but I didn't. (laughs) And I saved 7,500 bucks. So what I ended up doing was tearing up the floors, waterproofing the house and putting down floors cost me another probably three or 4,000 bucks over and above. And it cost me a significantly longer marketing cycle, which probably cost me another 20 grand. Wow. But I made money. Yeah. I just, it was a single and it should have been a triple. And how early was this? Was this recently or is this early when you were getting started? Um, it was relatively early on and I've done better since. Gotcha. Um, when you're better capitalized, Gabe, you, you don't worry about a $7,500 expense when you know you've got forty fifty thousand $50,000 of profit on the line. Yep. In the, in the pipe. In the so. pipe. Yeah. And I cost myself 25 or 30 grand just because of that. All right. So here's so another one. In, in the hypothetical world, if you were only able to choose one for the rest of your career, you could only flip houses or you could only buy rental properties. You had to totally give the other one up. Which one would it be? Uh, I would keep rental. Is it just because of the long-term income potential or? It's absolutely a better wealth building tool. I agree with that. I, we didn't get into this today, but I flip houses to raise capital to acquire and pay off rental real estate. Okay. Um, taxes are higher on flip profit, flip profits, but it's so cool and it, it, and is, it looks so cool and it's okay, so much fun. Let me tell you what, it is extremely fun. Yeah. It's, it's probably the thing I have the, the biggest visceral reaction to in my career in the things that I do flipping houses, taking something really ugly and making it beautiful. Oh yeah. It's thrilling. It's thrilling to me watching people appreciate it, watching people love it. Um, it's probably why I fix houses after I sell them for people. <laughs> like if something <laughs> goes wrong, it's just cause I, I, I'm so addicted to how much they love the house that I took from nothing and made it something, but I would still give it up because financially I can pay for rental property with other earned income. Okay. That asset never goes away. Right. Okay. So I could probably get like a little redneck on you for a second if you want. Oh gosh. What's that like even the mean? Dif- it's like the difference in investment in beef cattle versus dairy cattle. Yeah. You've lost me. I'm, I'm a, I'm a uh, city kid. I in guess. this case, <laughs> flipping houses would be dairy, would be beef cattle. 
Oh, oh no, I'm with you. Okay, okay. no rental property. Rental property would be dairy cattle because dairy cattle give milk. Well, okay, over and over and over again. And now we're in the weeds and we're not doing quick hits anymore. But there you go. There you go. Jay making the responsible decision as opposed to the sexy decision to <laughs> flip houses. Okay. Speaking of speaking of your beef cattle, what is your craziest experience you've ever had renovating a flip house? Uh, craziest, craziest experience renovating a house. Um, I uncovered a secret crawl space that had been used for something weird at one point. It was like, it was like storage of like, not necessarily illicit materials, but maybe Bodies. embarrassing <laughs> materials. We found a lot of magazines in a, in a crawl space. Yeah. It was a hatch in the floor that had no other access to the crawl space. This, this particular, you know, some houses have multiple crawl spaces. Okay. Are you following me? Now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So like one wing of the house, so like the house is on a basement and then like one part of the house has a crawl space, but there's no access from the exterior. So we pulled up some carpet oh, no. and we found a hatch in the, in the wood floor. I would be too scared to open that guarantee. And I, well, I mean, you're going to resell the house. It's your responsibility to know what's <laughs> okay, in there. Yeah. Okay? So I pull it open and there's just like tr- this treasure trove of a certain type of magazine. Okay. Not better homes and gardens. Not it wasn't People magazine. Let's just say <laughs> it that. wasn't. It wasn't. It was not National Geographic. <laughs> yeah, it might have been graphic, but not National Geographic. Oh, I like that. Okay. All right. Well, we might make a make a uh, a habit out of ending episodes with things we found in <laughs> hidden rooms. Uh, that's kind of how last week ended up. Most interesting. There that you was go. Definitely. Most all right. Well, ne- next time we're back, we're going to talk about something different. But that's all the time we've got for today. Uh, make sure to hit subscribe. Make sure you don't miss our next episode. We're going to be back. Thanks again, guys. You're listening to Resource.